0: I wonder if this morning you ever feel like this world is not your home? Oh my goodness. I have a word for you. The Bible calls you and me elect exiles. Elect exiles. And here's what the word says to give us hope in this exile. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and from there to the ends of the earth, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And here's where the hope comes in. Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Beloved, He's coming. We've seen this over and over again in Matthew 24 and 25. He's coming. He ain't here yet. But in the middle of that, God does not leave you to your own resources. He's given hope. He's given hope. And if you've come to this morning apart from Jesus Christ, guess what? You're not left out. You're out right now. But he has invited you in. And I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice today would hear that and believe. Praise God. Praise God. Amen and amen, grab your seat, grab your seat, what a good day it is to be in the house of the Lord, gathered together with His children, His people, grab your copy of God's Word and let's go to Matthew 25, Matthew 25, now if you were an adult in the late 1990s or even a middle to late teen like I was, you you probably remember how big the hype was around the looming y 2 problem. How many of y'all remember that? Dude, I actually watched that. There's a documentary on on the Vice channel. That's one of the uh, the 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 channels that we get on our on our uh, uh, streaming service and they actually have a documentary on Y2K itself. Now for those of you that were too young to realize what was happening or for those of you who weren't even born yet. Let's get that real quick. How many guys were not even yet born in Y2K? Year 2000. You were born after the year 2000. They're like, I don't even know what Y2K means. (laughs) You have to understand that with that coming year, there was a huge amount of fear and anxiety. You see, not only was was it the start of a new decade, it was the start of a new century and not only was this the start of a new century, it was the start of a whole new millennium, a whole new thousand years. And so there were a lot of end times, prognosticating, prophesying going on. But on top of that, and even more widespread than that, a lot of the anxiety was driven by what was called the Y2K problem, which had to do with a glitch in computer programming. You see, when computers, when they, when they were made... Um, When they were made in in the mid-1900s, they had very little storage. In fact, the first computer I ever personally bought for college, 1998, it had a huge hard drive, 30 gigs. 30 gigs, right? Your phone has maybe... Four, ten times that much now, right? But at that time, and those of you who had a computer even earlier than like 1998, you remember you had much, much smaller uh, hard drives. So you had so little storage. And so programmers did everything they could to save space. And one of the ways, believe it or not, that they did this was to use only the last two digits of the year on all of its dating. So instead of the full year, 1980, in their programming, they just used the last two numbers. They just used 80, for instance. That practice persisted as computers became more ubiquitous and more central to the everyday lives of people. And businesses and governments, agencies and institutions, even families, became more and more dependent upon the computer. And because programmers had only used two digits for the year, these computers had no capacity to go past 99. (laughs) When the year would turn from 1999 to 2000, there was fear. That all the computers in the world revert back to zero-zero and have a complete programming failure. Hence the Y2K problem. The fear is that, or was, that, that banks would fail. I mean, planes they feared would even just fall out of the sky. Electricity and phones would shut off and all other sorts of mass catastrophe and chaos. The first major warning about the Y2K problem came in 1993 with this huge article by programmer Peter De Jaeger in Computer World Magazine. It was called Doomsday 2000. (laughs) And the hype, it grew and grew and grew from 1993. And along with that, people's anxiety grew and grew and grew. And some people began to stockpile resources, food, water, and guns and ammunition to keep other people away from their food and water (laughs) and all of the survival items. It was a wild time leading up to Y2K. But thankfully, people began to make significant efforts to fix the Y2K problem before Y2K came. And, 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 and as Y2K came, folks, we were honestly, we were kind of unsure what would happen. And as the year 1999 came to an end, it seemed like all anybody talked about was Y2K's coming. And I still remember so vividly being at a party <laughs> New Year's Eve with all my Christian camp friends uh, at, our, at our camp where we worked. New Year's Eve 1999 as the new year. Y2K got closer and closer. I have to admit, I was, I was a little bit anxious. But we did like we always do as we get close to the end of the year. You begin to count down, right? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And at that very moment when we started to say, happy, all the lights went out. <laughs> Every single one of them. We were in pitch darkness, and my stomach began to sink, man. I mean, I, I kind of began to panic a little, and then all of a sudden, the lights came back on. Turns out that one of the uh, camp pranksters had snuck back to the uh, breaker box and had flipped off the electricity as a joke. Turned out that Y2K was no big deal at all, right? All that hope, Y2K's coming, Y2K's coming. All hype, no substance. Everything was fine, everything went on as usual but as we come to the end of this olivet discourse here there's been a lot of hype jesus is coming jesus is coming jesus is coming i need you to understand that the coming of jesus christ is not going to be like y2k in that regard yeah everything we've heard over the 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 last two chapters 24 25 of matthew yes he's coming But when Jesus does indeed come, hear me well, all the hype will be well-founded. In fact, we'll not have hyped it enough. Because when Jesus comes again, everything, and I mean everything, will change. Life will never be the same again. And here as we come to to this last parable, the reality of the second coming of Jesus Christ, it bursts forth. In fact... One could argue that this last section is not a parable at all. As Jesus, he steps away from parabolic language for a moment and he moves back into more apocalyptic language, right? He, he begins chapter 24 with apocalypse. And as he comes to the end of the Olivet Discourse here in Matthew 25, he, he moves back into apocalyptic-like language saying this. Look at verse 31 and 32. Now as I read this, just, just picture this in your mind. Let this paint a picture because, listen, that's what apocalypse is supposed to do. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another. Beloved, this this Jesus is is the Son of Man, as we talked back a few weeks ago, who's prophesied in Daniel 7 at the end of the age, will be given complete dominion over the universe from his Father, the Ancient of Days. And when Jesus comes and he sits on his throne, there's going to be a colossal separation. In fact, C.S. Lewis called it the Great Divorce. Jesus says very straightforwardly here that that's going to happen. There is going to be separation. One people from another, but then he moves back into some figurative language here, more parabolic language. Look at verse 32 again, but then we're going to read into verse 33. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people one from another as a, here comes back that figurative language, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. So as this paints this in your mind, you see Jesus on the throne. And you see all of the humans of the earth gathered before him. All the humans of the earth who are alive at his second coming there. But you no longer see these people as people. You picture them as sheep, bah, and goats, and goats. And all of a sudden, the shepherd king begins to separate them. The sheep are put to the right and the goats are put to his left. And with that image, we come to today's truth. The second coming of Christ will be like a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. And so in light of this truth this morning, I want to point you to four supporting truths. First, look at the text here, you need to realize that sheep and goats are currently together. Sheep and goats are currently together. Now, being the agricultural society that Jesus's culture was, you see, his original audience was very familiar with the imagery that he's talking about here, the imagery that he's painting, herding. It was a massive part of the life in those days in that area, and everybody was used to seeing livestock. Even if they didn't personally own any, they, they knew that life, and they knew it well some of the most common livestock were sheep and goats. People would have both. Now, from a living goat, you can get lots of things, but mainly milk. And they would turn that milk into various dairy products. And then, of course, not just a living goat, but from a dead goat, you can get some things, too. You can get their hide, and and you can get their meat. And you can get all that from a sheep as well. Did you know that? You can get all that from a sheep as well, but... The sheep come with a bonus. Wool. Wool. And that was the primary reason for having sheep. And because of that, sheep were more highly prized. But people would have both and they would graze the sheep and the goats right out there in the pasture together. In fact, depending on the breed, they often looked quite a bit alike, similar in appearance. You say, well, I thought goats had hair and, and sheep had wool. Well, guess what? There are There are hair sheep as well. There was a whole flock of hair sheep behind our house. The guy behind our house in Bowling Green had hair sheep. And from a distance, they they really look similar in appearance. Even if you get up close, sometimes, depending on the breed again, they may be hard to distinguish. Now, in this parable, the sheep and the goats, they represent the people of the earth. The sheep represent the blessed people of the earth at Jesus' second coming, And the goats, they represent the cursed people of the earth at Jesus' second coming. And so right now in this age, sheep and goats are together. We are intermingling the blessed and the cursed. When we go to the pig after church, there will be sheep and goats there. When you go to work on Monday or to school on Monday, there will be sheep and goats there. When you... Gather together for that concert or, or that that athletic event, there will be sheep and goats there. And beloved, we want to be honest, even in this room this morning, there is an intermingling of sheep and goats. Just like the pastures outside of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. Sheep and goats grazing together. And as people, they are together today. And it's hard sometimes to tell them apart. Especially from a little bit of distance. But that brings me to the second supporting truth this morning, which is this. Is that sheep and goats will be separated when Christ returns. Now, grazing sheep and goats together was, and that that is normal, okay? That's that's normal shepherding practice. But the same is true for separating them. There was, that was just something common that had to be done. In fact, it, it may have been done daily as the sheep and the goats were grazing together. As the end of the day came, especially during certain points in the year, they had to be separated for the nighttime because goats were more susceptible to cold so they had to be put in a a a warmer place for the night so while there was a togetherness between the sheep and goats by much of their lives there was coming a separation and i have to tell you this morning the same thing is true for human beings we as sheep and goats the blessed and the cursed are together now but when jesus christ comes again there will be a separation the sheep will be put on his right, representing the hand of favor and acceptance. And the, the goats will be put on his left, representing the hand of disfavor, the, the hand of rejection. Look at verse 34. Then the king, this shepherd king, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's that blessing in this church. Now skip down to verse 41. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, as I hear this teaching here, it reminds me very much of a parable that Jesus told earlier in his ministry. Found in Matthew 13. It's a parable that you know well. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Some call it the parable of the weeds. Others call it the parable of the wheat and weeds you probably know it best as the parable of the wheat and tares. Here's what that parable said. According to Jesus, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, master did you not sow good seed in your field how then does it have weeds he said to them an enemy's done this so the servant said to him then do you want us to go and gather them speaking about the weeds but he said no lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat among them let them both grow together until the harvest and at harvest time i'll tell the reapers Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Doesn't that sound a lot like the scenario there with the sheep and the goats? There's a lot of similarity there, right? Like the the sheep and the goats were together in Matthew 25. The wheat and the weeds are together here in Matthew 13. And at the harvest time, a separation is coming in, in Matthew 13, just like in Matthew 25. Now, Jesus didn't leave us hanging here with this parable. He, he spoke plainly. He spoke plainly to, to, to the disciples just a few verses later in Matthew 13, verse 36 through 43. Here, here's what the parable means. Then he let the crowd, uh, then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable, of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the seed, the good seed, is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy uh, who sowed them in is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they'll gather out His kingdom, all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace... In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So just like in Matthew 25 where Jesus says that before him will be gathered all the nations of the earth to be separated out. Here in Matthew 13, the field is The world, right? That's where the wheat and the weeds are planted. And listen, so many folks miss this. I've heard, I mean, I don't know how many preachers over the years talk about how we should be just fine with both wheat and tares in the church, as if the field that Jesus is talking about here is the church itself. Beloved, the field is not the church. That's what he's talking about here, right? Wheat and weeds becoming members of the church should we be fine with that That, that, that's mistaken you see there's no concept in scripture of a mixed saved and unsaved church body now let me say this lost people are always welcome here amen always welcome here we love when someone that doesn't know jesus comes in amongst us this we want you to feel at home but listen to me A lost person is not welcome to join in membership with this church until they've turned from sin and trusted Christ. And when a person who has professed faith in Christ turns away from Christ, either in confessed apostasy or, which happens more often, through habitualized lifestyle apostasy, We are to lovingly as we can weed them out. The church is to be a pure church in that regard. We have to weed our church garden, but but we're not to weed the world. God will handle that. God will handle that. He will separate the wheat of the world from the tares, the weeds of the world, just like He'll separate the sheep of the world from the goats of the world world and he'll handle that Jesus Christ will handle that at the end of the age when he comes he will be the judge if, if you grew up saying the Apostles Creed like I did a lot when I went to Mount Olivet, Cumberland, Presbyterian Church we said the Apostles Creed every week we always confessed every Sunday that Jesus will be the judge of the quick and the dead 2nd Timothy 4.1 tells us that The Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, describes Jesus this way. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So when Jesus Christ comes again, there's going to be a great separation, a great divorce of the sheep and the goats. And and while it's not emphasized here, like it has been in the previous passages we've looked at here in these two chapters, his coming and the separation will be sudden. And it'll be decisive. When you least expect it, and it'll be decisive. No second chances when Jesus Christ comes again, when he separates the sheep from the goats. But that begs the question then, what, what makes a sheep and, and what makes a goat? How does one know he's a sheep, and and how does one know that he's a goat? Well, that brings me to the third supporting truth this morning, which is this. Sheep and goats will be divided based on faith evidenced by works for Christ. Let me say that again. Sheep and goats will be divided based upon faith evidenced by works for Christ. Look what the text says here. You see, after telling the sheep their fate, Jesus gives them the reason. Right there in verse 35 and 36. He says, for. That's because, right? This is a causal statement. I said this, enter in to the kingdom that's been prepared for you. Because, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And honestly, it it confused the sheep in this this parable here. Look at 37 through 39. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord. I mean, I I love what you're saying, Lord, but, but when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? In other words, listen, listen, king. We never did any of what you just said to you. But notice the king's reply in verse 40. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, did it to me. Ah, church, there's the key. Did you see the key? There's the key. They were serving the king indirectly. Now, they weren't directly serving the king, but when they served the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, the king counted it as service to him. He said the least of these, even the least of these Are my brothers. Even the least of these, those who are in the kingdom, right? That word brothers there is a technical term in the New Testament to talk about those who are in the church family. And beloved, listen, we are supposed to be good to the world, but we are especially to be good to one another here. You know what I'm saying? That's the Bible, that's Galatians chapter 6. Do not grow weary in well doing. Bless those who are outside the church community, but especially bless those who are inside the church fellowship. And as you do these sorts of things, the least of these brothers and sisters in this church and these brothers and sisters in our sister churches and extending to the ends of the earth, you do it to Christ. Now, along with your brothers are also your neighbors, right? Those who are not in the community of Christ, but they are in your community, Right, uh, we, don't, we don't turn away from them. We, we help them, we bless them, the least of them. But ultimately, we especially are good to those who are brothers and sisters of Christ. And the king said, when you did those things to the least of these, you did it to me. They had shown compassion and love and sacrifice to the least of these and the king said when you did it to the least of these you did it to me but here's the thing he says the very same thing to the goats after telling them their fate look at verse 42 and 43 why are you being put out why are you being put on my left instead of on my right look at verse 42 for i was hungry and you gave me no food i was thirsty and you gave me no drink I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And again, just like with the sheep, this confused the goats. Verse 44, they also will answer, saying, Lord, oh my goodness, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? In other words, Lord, if we had known it was you, we would have done everything for you. Look at verse 45. Then i will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. There's the key again. As they shunned and ignored the hungry, thirsty stranger, naked, sick, imprisoned, the king counted as if they had shunned and ignored him. They had shown callousness. They had shown mercilessness. They had shown indifference. And I think it's important for you to note right here, beloved. Note right here that God doesn't just count sins of commission. In other words, when you do that which you should not do, don't lust you do it that's a sin of commission don't gossip you do it that's a sin of commission but he also counts clearly here from this text sins of omission things that you should have done but didn't God sees both of those and honestly if you were to take a check of your life think about this for a moment If you were to take a check of your life, which one would weigh more in the balance? Your sins of commission or your sins of omission? I have to believe, honestly, our sins of omission would weigh more. They would be more. They'd be more numerous. I just have to believe that. Doing, not doing that which you've been told by God to do. So for both the sheep and the goats, here's the deal. Their good works or the lack thereof was the evidence the king put before them. Now we have to be careful here. We have to be careful because we might be tempted to think that if I'll just do good things then, I'll be a sheep and then I'll be put on God's right. I'll be ushered into bliss there in heaven. Keep in mind, that's not what the Bible tells us. That's not what the Bible tells us. We aren't sheep because we do good works. Flip it around. We do good works because we are sheep. So another way of saying that is this. Good works serving Christ does not make us a sheep. Rather, being a sheep makes us do good works serving christ just as elder james not not apostle james but elder james the the brother of jesus the elder of jerusalem in the early church there he points out to us in his epistle good works is the evidence of our living faith here's what he says you probably know this passage well james 2 14 through 18 what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister, listen to this language here, if a brother or sister, again, that's, that's church language, we're beholden to our brother and sister, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to him, oh, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now skip down to verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. And then skip down to verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from from works is dead so ultimately what we see here in the balance of the totality of scripture is that ultimately the sheep's good works pointed to their living and saving faith it was not the grounds of their sheepness but the evidence of their sheepness And vice versa for the goats. They were not goats. Because they didn't do good works, they didn't do good works because they were goats. And again, their lack of, of good works pointed to the nature of their hearts and made it abundantly clear. So beloved, sheep and goats will be divided based upon faith evidenced by works for Christ. And here's the final Supporting truth I want to point you to this morning Concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ When this king is going to separate the, the, the sheep from the goats This shepherd king And here it is For sheep inherit the eternal kingdom While goats inherit eternal fire Don't miss where their separation takes them It's not like ah, I mean, you know, big deal, I mean, I'm mean, i a goat You know, big deal, I'm a sheep No, it is a big deal Look at what the passage says here. Look where their destinations are once the separation happens. Verse 34, Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, beloved, there it is. It's heaven. And it'll be forever. It'll be eternal, conscious delight. Now skip down to verse 41. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so, dear one, what what is this describing? It's it's describing hell. And it's going to be forever, eternal, conscious torment. And to make sure that we have the thrust of the passage, Jesus closes out, reiterating this reality there in verse 46. And these wicked ones he's talking about here, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal fire. This is what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ. It's going to be like a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. So this morning, here's the question that every single one of us must ask ourselves this morning. Here it is. Will I be with the sheep or the goats when Christ returns. Listen, there's going to be a separation, a division and here's the dividing line. I can tell you right now what is going to be in the dividing line. What you do with Christ. That's the dividing line, right? Every person who will turn from sin and hatred of their sin and, and to Jesus in faith and love will be with the sheep. Jesus said it this way in John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So I say to you this morning, are you part of Jesus' sheep? And if you're not, let me me ask you this question. Do you want to be? Do you want to be? Have you heard his voice? And run to him. Trust in him. Know him. Follow him with all the delight of your heart. And do all the good works he's prepared for you. Not for your salvation, but because of your salvation. And then you will hear from the shepherd king Jesus when he comes and sits on his throne. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But if you do not, listen to me closely. If you do not turn from sin and trust in Christ, you will hear from the shepherd king when he comes back and he sits on his throne. Here's what you're going to hear. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I want to take a, just a moment also to address you, goats, this morning, who think you're sheep. <laughs> I don't even know—I don't know any other way to say that. You, at some point in your life, you went through external motions of salvation. You went through the form of outward salvation, but there is no internal reality of salvation in your life and here's the deal you know it you know it you have no taste for god and the things of god you follow your flesh instead of the holy spirit your heart is full of judgment and indifference instead of compassion and action you're a hypocrite and you know it the reason you do these things is not because you're a struggling sheep You do these things because you are a goat. You're a goat pretending to be a sheep. And again, you know it. But today is an opportunity for you. Oh, by the grace of God, listen to me, goats. Listen to me. Do not further harden your heart today. Turn from sin. Jesus saves hypocrites too. Amen? Amen? Jesus saves hypocrites too. And if you'll turn from your hypocrisy, turn from your false profession, turn from your goatness, Christ will gladly receive you into his arms and into his fold this very hour. And then you too will live for Christ as a sheep and as a sheep ought and be among the sheep on this coming The second coming of Christ will be like a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. Are you ready for His return? Here's my final prayer. May we all put our faith in Christ and be transformed so that we will be ready for His return.